This morning, uh, we're beginning this new uh, message series called Pray Like This. You can see it on the screens. You probably noticed already in our, our songs and in our worship. We have focused on this new theme of prayer. And uh, what we're going to do is spend the next seven or so weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer together. I want to spend just a minute or two setting this up with you because um, I would guess for some of us when we hear about a preacher preaching a new series called The Lord's Prayer, um, we might think to ourselves, been there, heard that, done that. I will confess to you right off the bat, this is my confession, there is nothing original in this series. Okay, next two months, uh, what we're going to learn together has already been taught for centuries. In fact, um, I've kept this series so basic, even the title is, is ancient news. You remember, um, Jesus is sitting out uh, on this mountainside in Matthew 5. He's overlooking the Sea of Galilee with this crowd sort of hanging on every word. They're brand new to the faith. And halfway through this sermon, he tells his followers, when you pray, pray like this. See, but the challenge with a series like that is that familiarity breeds contempt, right? So I want to do this. Let's just start before we even open God's word. I was just a little bit of a brain teaser. Here's a question for you as we step into this familiar ground. Let me just ask this. How is it with your prayer life? I don't mean that flippantly. I mean on like a scale of one to 10, one being entirely absent, 10 being you still so comfortable with prayer, you're like King David writing the Psalms. How is it with your prayer? How would you rate the frequency of your prayers? How would you think about the fervency of your prayers, the, the faithfulness of your time spent with God? If you could put a number to it, where would you put it on a scale of one to 10? Kevin DeYoung recently wrote a, a book on the Lord's Prayer, and I would commend it to you, Kevin DeYoung. And he said it like this. He said, prayer is not a formula. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is not a formula. Prayer is a relationship. The reason that Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer is not so that we could simply memorize it and then recite it out loud together, then debate in our heads over, are we going to pray, uh, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses? No, Jesus gave us this prayer, right, is so that you and I would know how to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. In fact, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew's gospel. If you turn to Luke's gospel in chapter 11, you find that this entire saga began with the disciples coming to Jesus, seeing that he prayed unlike anybody else before him or after him, and they asked him, would you teach us to pray? How should we do this? And here's why this, this series matters, right? The Pew Research Forum found just recently that only 55% of the Christian church would put themselves in the category of a daily prayer life, just 55% of us. That means for half of us who claim Christ, we go about our work week as though he's not even there. Now hear me out. If prayer is a relationship, that means we need an intervention. Maybe we don't know how to pray. Maybe you've not, never thought about what is it that I should pray or why do I pray? But the bottom line is to walk out our faith without prayer is like trying to live your life without oxygen. Again, Timothy Keller wrote a phenomenal book on prayer. I have no lack of resources when it comes to this sermon series. But I would commend Timothy Keller's book to you on prayer. It's called Prayer. 
And this is what he said in it. He said, if, if you were told that, that every day you had to take a pill, and without that pill you would die, would you ever in your right mind forget to take that pill? Of course not, right? The word, word would be never. When you think about it though, why is it then that we would so quickly neglect our prayer life with the one who we know gives us life. So as I said, for the next few months, we're gonna consider this time, let's say a prayer tune-up, and I wanna invite you to, um, to join with me. We're gonna talk more about this at the end of this sermon, but I wanna invite you to start thinking right now about how to take this, not just as mind or intellectual information, but how are we gonna put this into practice into our lives uh, but this morning, as we jump into this, I want to begin not with what to pray or how to pray, but before Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, um, he actually gives instructions of how not to pray of all things. So turn with me to Matthew 6, if you would. We're going to turn to Matthew 6 together, and um, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 this morning, 5 through 8. Let me show you what I mean. Let's jump into this together. Let's look, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Hear not God's word. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it of him. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Many of you may be familiar with the name Joe Maganello. Um, Joe is an incredibly successful actor, most notably in the Spider-Man series. And by the time they hit Spider-Man 3, Joe had hit the top of his game. That summer, that movie was at the top box office hit of the year. And, and because of that, Joe had it all, right? He had all the talent. He had all the swag and the confidence. Everything for Joe was going swimmingly, except Joe had a problem. And the problem was that the minute that Joe walked off stage, Joe faced an entirely different reality. Look at this. Look at what he said. He said, there was a point where I really thought I was broken beyond the point of being able to be fixed. Drinking was a way for me not to have to deal with me. And I think that acting was a way for me not to have to be me either. So I could go on stage and not be me, and I could come off stage and go to the bar and not be me and rinse and repeat. I needed to really look in the mirror and get honest with myself about the man I wasn't becoming. Joe was a desperate alcoholic, right, trying to figure out who he was. And Joe knew that this facade of this mask would, would only last so long before his interior life would soon bleed into the exterior that he had protected so meticulously. And I think we can all relate to that, right? Maybe not the bottle, but maybe some other coping mechanism and certainly the mask. You and I, we were born to perform, from the earliest of age, every one of us were taught to look and act the part, to be seen by others as something or someone. And since the day we learned to walk, we very quickly learned to perform. 
And so I find it interesting, right, that long before Jesus even gets to how to pray, he says there's two things you have to check before you bow your head and bend a knee. He says, first, don't be like the hypocrites, the actors, the ones wearing the mask, for they love to be seen. They, they put on a show, Jesus says, that they're playing a part, pretending to be one thing in public while being something completely different behind the scenes. Jesus says, don't be like them. And then second, Jesus says, likewise, don't be like the pagans, for they heap up empty phrases, repeating themselves as though they'll be heard and rewarded for their babble. Jesus is not concerned with our flowery words. He wants our heart. Although Brian would love to give you a definition of every one of those terms right after worship today. If you want to know how to pray, Jesus says, we've got to start here. We've got to start with how not to pray. And two things we should be cautious of. Do not pray to be seen, Jesus says, like the hypocrites. And do not pray to be heard like the pagans. See, because for Christ, there is this performative expectation in our culture, and therefore we have a performative problem in our prayer life. Let me say that again. If there is a performative expectation in our culture, therefore we have a performative problem in our prayer life. Y'all know me, I, I can't rap real well, but I made a rhyme for you just so that we would remember this. It goes like this. The idolatry of perception is as old as prayer's inception. The idolatry of perception is as old as prayer's inception. See, the hard fact is we love to be seen. We love to be heard, right? Perception is a very real idol that plays on the stage of this life. Just consider this with me, right? Where do you see this in the secular realm? Where do you see this out in the world? You know, maybe it's that you've got to wear the latest trendy gear for the, the new ski season or, or sport the newest fashion. Maybe it looks like ensuring your kids fit the mold of the, the friends that, that are around them in the same sports and activities, achieving the same things. What's yours? See, we love to be seen, right? I'll confess, I can't go for a hike without sharing it with someone. Somebody else has got to see the view, right? I can't catch a fish without like pulling it out and letting it half die so I can get a picture so that I can brag on it. We love to be seen by others. But when it comes to the Christian, Jesus says that performative life is toxic to you and your relationship with God. See, at the time, there was this problem among God's people, right? The, the rabbinic rules stated very clearly that the pious were to pray in private. They were not to be heard out on the street corners for the world to hear, but rather they were to remember who it was that they were praying to. But, but God's people had found a loophole, as we often do, and they figured out how to pray in public and skirt the rule by praying quietly in silence. Think wailing wall. In Jerusalem, they were praying to be seen. And see, for Christ, their intentions then became the reward. He said, if you're praying for publicity, publicity is exactly what you get. See, but you and I know, we know instinctively there, there's a problem with this idol of perception, right? And, and that is that our public image is an empty shell. 
That that feedback loop only gets you so far in life before you are filled up with anxiety and depression, not based on what God thinks of you, but constantly wondering what everyone else thinks of you. And the problem with the idolatry of perception is that when you worship an idol, eventually that idol begins to control you. See, Jesus says if you want to be grounded, if, if you want to be rooted, all that noise has to go. Go into your room, shut the door, and find your father who sees you in secret. You know, I'll tell you, as a pastor who prays all the time in public, I will confess there, there's something to that lifestyle, right? Because when I pray in public, full disclosure, there's always a filter, right? No one confesses their full authentic self in a public prayer, a square, right? I'm not saying that public prayers aren't then authentic. I'm just saying they can only go so deep. If I were to ask you to come up here this morning and, and I'll, here, I'll give you the mic and what I want you to do is leave just in a time of confession. I want you to be real and confess your sins outright wholeheartedly. I wonder how many of us would even get half there. But when we read the prayer of confession, I think it's a good practice for us to corporately confess our need for a savior. But hear me, when you are exposed behind closed doors with the one who already knows everything about you, has seen all, you and I know your prayer life goes to a completely different level. See, and I should be clear here, right? Jesus is not calling us to leave then corporate prayer behind. That's not what Jesus is saying. And, and we know that, right? Because this prayer is for communal life. Our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts. This is clearly a prayer for the church to pray aloud together, but in so doing, Jesus knows that the challenge is when you pray aloud, you can quickly get caught up, not in what God thinks of you, but what in others might hear or see from you. The more that I've meditated on this, the more humbling this teaching really is, right? Because this, this performative nature that is our sin, it's so permeated in us that we probably don't even realize how this affects our relationship with the Father. And I'm convinced Jesus wants us to see this, this simple reality that you can't fake your relationship with God. You can fool everyone else around you. You can pray the most pious prayers in this valley, but you can't outsmart the one who already sees everything you are. And when we get caught up in this idol of perception, that I think the danger is twofold, right? And see, ask yourself which category you fall into. Either we'll refuse to pray out loud because of fear of man in the room, or we'll put on such a show that our end game is more performance than prayer. I love how Soren Kierkegaard once said it. Look at this quote. He said, do you not know that there comes a midnight hour when one has to throw off the mask? Do you believe that life will always let itself be mocked? Do you think you can slip away a little before midnight to avoid this, or are you not terrified by it? I have seen men in real life who so long deceived others that at last their true nature could not reveal itself. I've seen others who played hide-and-seek so long that at last in madness they disgustingly obtruded upon others with their secret thoughts, and hitherto they had proudly concealed. Pastor John Owen once said it like this. He said, even a minister might fill the pews, fill the communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is, and no more. 
See, this prayer that Jesus is about to teach, it's meant to be public and corporate. And and make no mistake, our God wants us to pray together, to, to lift each other up. And yet Jesus knows at the same time the greatest danger is that we'll forget who we're praying to and we'll perform instead. Dana Tierney was a New York Times reporter and editor and a skeptic in the faith. In fact, she wasn't just a skeptic, she was a full-on atheist. But her parents uh, had taken a liking to their son and wanted to raise him in the faith. They even had him baptized. And Soon after the Iraq war began, Dana's husband, who was also a reporter, was shipped overseas as a wartime reporter on the front lines. And she'd watch him on the news every night and she would just sit there filled with anxiety. And she tells this story in one of her editorials about how one night she was watching this interview between her husband and this soldier overseas and she was filled with these tears in her eyes. And in the the peak of her anxiety, she said she couldn't help notice how calm her son was. She said, in fact, she looked over and at one point his hands were clasped and his face was bowed down. And she asked him, she said, are you praying? He didn't know if it was right or not to pray in front of his mom, so at first he denied it. But then she asked him again. She said, no, it's okay. Are you praying? Luke, are you praying? He said, Mama, I've always known God is with us. See, for this little child, that's all that mattered, right? He didn't even think performance. He just thought, maybe God will hear my plea. Just think about what Jesus does here, right? I love how one commentator pointed this out. Christ now moves God's people from praying for show in the holiest of holies. You wanted to be seen in the temple with the pious robes out on the streets to now this complete reorientation into a hidden room. It's no longer about the place. It's it's no longer about the performance. It's now about the aim of your heart. When you pray, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites who stand out on the street corners that they might be seen by others. Go in your room, close the door, And the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. I think there's a second caution then that Jesus gives to us before we come to him in prayer. Look again at this at verse seven. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. I call this the squeaky wheel syndrome. You know, there's an expectation in Jesus' day that the gods would not listen to you unless you force them to, right? Right? You had to have your prayers be longer and louder in order for your God to pay attention to you above all the others. In the book of 1 Kings 18, you can see how this plays out. Uh, The prophet Elijah meets up with these 450 false prophets who claim that their God is the one who's real, and Elijah's is false, and what ensues is a good old-fashioned prayer throwdown. Begins with these 450 people trying to conjure up Baal. And uh, well, rather than explain it, let, just look at this. Look at how this goes. It says, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with sword and lances with the blood gushing down upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answer, no one paid attention. Shortly thereafter, Elijah turns to the Lord. He makes his very bold and clear and concise prayer, and God answers him. This is how it goes. He says, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God and that I am your servant. I've done all these things according to your word. So answer me, Lord, answer me, that this people may know you, Lord, our God. God hears his prayer. Fire rains down from heaven 
And everyone understands very quickly who the real God is. See, it was thought for centuries among pagans that the, the only way for your God to hear you is to come up with as many words as possible. The, the more babble, the better. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. For Jesus, he almost seems to say, less is more. Recently here in the valley, a, a family got lost on the M trail. Did you hear about this? On the M trail? You know the church is getting tight when at Legacy someone goes, that was my family. <laughs> True story. No, but the news interviewed the sheriff a few weeks ago and he, he said, you know, this kind of thing happens more often than you think. People are on the main trail and then they come to this sort of mindless deer trail, this animal trail, and they, they accidentally turn on it instead. And I think that's a good picture of the dangers in our prayer life, Right? When you pray, we should ask, how intentional are your prayers, are your steps in faith? I feel like so often we get stuck in these mindless ruts where our mind isn't even connected with our heart, these, these deer trails where we really aren't praying anymore at all. This happens really quickly in worship, for example, where we might just mindlessly read the words on the screen. What ends up happening is just babble, or I'll go so far as to say, even memorizing the Lord's Prayer can be a, a mechanical rut, right? <clears throat> Let me be clear, though. There's a difference in God's word between persistent prayer and babbling. God wants frequent prayers. But in the words of John Stott, the problem with the Christian is that our prayer life becomes all lips, no mind, and no heart. All lips, no mind, no heart. You know, it's interesting to me how much freedom we have in the posture of our prayers. You can pray in any posture you like. Mark 11 tells us you can stand and pray. Mark 26 tells us you can lay flat on the ground and pray. Acts 21 talks about kneeling in prayer. Second Samuel has this example of, of sitting down with the Lord in prayer. See, our posture is not God's concern. God's concern is does your heart match your words? My girls will tell you, um, sometimes I'm not the best listener. I'm working at it. But, three girls in one house, what is, what's a man gonna do? <laughs> no, but often I will hear from the other side of the room, Dad, 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 I wanna show you something. Dad, come here. Dad, do you hear me? Dad. You know, I'll say this to the girls right now because they're listening. That is not how the father acts. That is not the posture of our God, right? Do you know that when you pray in Jesus' name, you don't have to conjure up a performance with words? You don't have to work to get his attention. You don't have to heap up babble to try to outsqueak the others that are praying. Our God is available to us 24-7, ears on. Wrap your mind around that. What do we just say in worship? Even youth grow tired and weary. Even young men fall exhausted. But have you not heard? Did you not know that the Lord is the everlasting God? He is anything but a reluctant listener. See, and what God wants from us then is really simple. He just wants intentional, heartfelt prayers that the Son taught us to pray. So that's what we're gonna dive into together, right? Because how we pray is a direct reflection of our relationship with the Father. 
And I want to ask just two things uh, in this prayer series. Uh, First, it seems to me that if we just talk about prayer, right, it becomes an academic, even mindless exercise. So I want us to get real about this. And I told you there's nothing new in this sermon series. This is also not a new idea. But I want to invite you to find a prayer partner before you leave the building this morning. Ask someone who you know, who you trust, to hold you accountable to prayer. Who, who is it in your life that can ask you the hard question of how is it going with your prayers? And who is it that knows you enough to know when you're performing and call you back to fervent prayer? That's the first thing. Second, every week this summer, for the rest of the summer, we're gonna send out some specific prayers that we can pray together as a church by email. So be on the lookout for those. They'll be, uh, they'll be tying us back to the sermon the previous Sunday. And so I'll say right now, if you're not signed up for Spring Hill's emails, find me after worship and I can get you set up and get your email address. But when you pray this week, two things, let me encourage you. Do a heart check. And take caution that you not pray like the hypocrites who love to be seen. And be certain that you not pray like the pagans who just love to be heard. And instead, ask God to check your heart before a word comes off your lips. I love how Martin Luther said it. And this is another one to memorize. Our prayer life should be brief, frequent, and intense. Brief, frequent, and intense. Let's practice that now. Will you pray with me? I just want to lead us in a time of silence and listening for God and um, just go before the Lord. Just take a moment with me in silence. God of mercy, would you hear our prayers this morning? Lord, I will be the first to confess that we often slip into the category of performance rather than than praying simple prayers to you. And Lord, we know by your very word this morning that you're not you're not interested in the external things, Lord. You're you're interested in the the interior life. So God, would you help me? Would you help all of us to start there with the the door shut on our knees by our bedside? Lord, um, not in formula or check in the box, but God, because we want to grow closer to you. Lord, would you keep us mindful of your presence in our lives this week? We don't want to be the statistic of uh, 50% that forget about you in our daily walk, but Lord, we want to talk with you. We want to, in Paul's words, pray without ceasing. And so God, would you help us to do that this week? God, we know that a praying people are are a changed people. So Lord, make us a people on our knees that we would be a people changed by your grace. God, in those moments when we step back into the 
the performance attitude, Lord, the, the idol of others' perception, God, would you nudge us, remind us of who it is that we're speaking to and why it is that we pray. God, watch over this series as we think more intentionally about our prayer life with you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.